Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles. Let me just quickly uh, go through, and uh, I might get through before 12 today, uh, Brother Cal. Uh, I, I went through that faster than I thought I would. But it is an honor to be with you. And I, like I said, last night I was going to share a totally different word. Uh, and just while I was actually finishing up getting the thoughts that I wanted to put forth, talking about the world and the need of missionaries, the Lord took me to a, a sermon he gave me last year. And I've only shared it twice. I shared it when he gave it to me last year for a church. And then I shared it in my church in Nairobi just a few weeks ago. But it's out of the book of First Samuel. If you'll turn there with me. Out of the book of First Samuel, we'll go to chapter chapter seven, I believe it is. Yes, chapter seven of First Samuel. And if you want to put a title on this, if you like to take notes, just put "Between a Rock and a Hard Place." How many of you this week you feel like you've been between a rock and a hard place? You know what that means, don't you? Just you're in a place where you just don't know where to turn. You look back and you don't see any, any opportunity. You look forward, you don't see an opportunity. That's what's happening here in this text. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin and he called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. He took a stone and he placed it between Mizpah and Shin. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that as over the next 10 or 15 minutes, as I just break down a, this word and try to share what I feel like you told me last night I was supposed to share out of this. I just don't want to, by faith already, just pray and, and declare over somebody here today who's standing in that proverbial place between the rock and between the hard place. And they may have been at a place they're just thinking of giving up. They may be in a place they don't know what to do. Father, I pray today that they will find the stone of help, the Ebenezer, in the middle of their hard place they're in. And that today they'll see that there is help for them. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give you a little context to the story before I get to this point where we are today. This is right in the beginning of the book of Samuel. And we all know the story of Samuel, or many of you know it. And I'll encourage you, if you've never really taken time to read the book of Samuel, the first book of Samuel, sometime this week, just go back and pick up right with chapter 1 and come up here and read through chapter 7. And with the things I give you today, you'll see a great, uh, maybe, maybe even a greater context than you've ever seen. But we know the story about Samuel that when his mom came to the, to the uh, tabernacle there in Shiloh and she hadn't been given children and she was so distraught because she didn't have children and she was praying at the tent of the Lord. Now the, the tabernacle, I mean the, the temple had not been built at this time. They were still worshiping at a tent uh, and we don't know if it was the original tabernacle or if it's in another tabernacle that had been built or a tent that had been built but it was still there and she was at the tent and the, and the old priest came up to her, Eli, and he looked at her and he said, woman, why do you come to the house of God as a drunkard? Because she was there on her knees and she was praying quietly her mouth was moving but she wasn't saying any words and because Eli was not a very spiritual man even though he was the priest he came up to her and said why are you drunk here and she just looks at him and said I'm not drunk 
I'm praying for the mercy of God on my life. I'm praying that God will give me a son. And then that same Eli, who at many times was not spiritual, and we find out if you get into the story that he lost everything, he had a prophetic moment. And he said, what you're praying for, God's going to bless you with. And we know a few years later, maybe, well, more than, less than a year later, she goes and has a baby. Her and her husband come together. She'd been barren for all these years. We've not told how long. She has a baby and she names that boy Samuel. And after the baby is weaned, and I think all of us mothers know that. You men that don't know, y'all go ask your wives later. I won't get into all that. But in the, in the old, uh, in the old uh, way of doing it, even many of the African women, they don't wean their child after three months or six months. It could go up to two, three years even. So we don't know the distance or the time. I just heard one lady say, oh, me. Uh, so, uh, thank God that custom has passed. Amen. Uh, but uh, whenever they brought, she brought him to the temple of the Lord, he began to serve the Lord. And if you read, there in chapter 2 chapter 3 it says twice that Samuel ministered before the Lord never says that about Eli never says that about his sons it says Samuel ministered before the Lord and then another time twice I think it says this twice as well it says he grew in favor with God and with men and the story goes on there in chapter 3, uh, and you flip over there to chapter 3, it, it talks about there in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord had become very rare in the land of Israel. It had become to a place that the word of God had not been there. And verse number 1 of chapter 3 says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. But in the next verse, it starts telling the story where God speaks to a young man. And he speaks to him three times in the night and he calls him Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And finally, after Eli tells Samuel on the third time, just ask the Lord what, what he's saying to you. The Lord's evidently trying to speak to you. And I can almost imagine Samuel thinking, why is it God speaking to me? Why is he speaking to this boy? But the word of the Lord had left Israel. But now the word of the Lord had come back. And if you look with me, well, I'll just read it. You don't have to look back there. And at the end of that chapter, after God had spoke to him, verse 19, it says again, Samuel grew and grew and the Lord was with him and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And then in verse 21, he says, then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you would think there would be a great revival that would cross throughout the land of Israel at that moment. But if you start reading from chapter four and you go all the way to chapter seven, it covers a period of over 20 years. You don't hear the name of Samuel one more time. From chapter 4 to chapter 7, when I read to you a moment ago about him putting this stone up, you never hear from Samuel again. It's like he has been rejected by the people. He's been rejected by the, the house of Eli. He's been rejected by anyone. And he's out just traveling through the country. He's traveling through the hillsides and through the places of Israel. And he's declaring the word of the Lord. Declaring the word of the Lord. But all we see happening to Israel is destruction after destruction. The Philistines come in and destroy them. The Philistines, Philistines steal the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and they take it and they keep it. They only kept it for six months of the 20 years, but they defeated Israel and for 20 years Israel was subservient to the people of, the, to, the, to the, the nation of the Philistines. 
And the word of the Lord still was not being declared. But something happens in chapter 7. Something takes place in chapter 7. And God calls Samuel from the places he's ministering. He calls him to Mizpah. And he says, call the elders of Israel to Mizpah. I have a word for them. How many of you has been a long time since you heard a word from the Lord? How many of you need a word from the Lord? You need a thus saith the Lord in your life. You need God to just come and say, hey, I'm with you. I'm there. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. See, we've got an advantage they didn't have. We've got a word from the Lord anytime we need a word from the Lord because we've got this. They didn't have this. All they had, all they had was the prophet or the priest that was with them at that time. The Pentateuch had been written. Those first books of the Bible had been written, but they were on a scroll locked away that God only knew probably where they were. Maybe, maybe there was a copy there in the tabernacle, but the people didn't get to hear that. They didn't get to see that. They didn't get to hear that word of the Lord. And their only way to get God's word was the mouthpiece of God coming to speak. And for 20 years, the mouthpiece of God had been rejected, had been scorned, had been sent away. And so he was doing his thing until God said, now is the time. And in verse number chapter seven, right there, verse number one, it says, then the men of Kiriath Jerem came and they brought the ark of the Lord and they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar to keep it. It has said in the next verse, it says it's 20 years since the ark had been at Kiriath Jerem. And then look at verse number three. Then Samuel spoke to the house of Israel. Then Samuel spoke to the house of Israel as he caused them to Mizpah. And I'm going to get to where we're going to right now. He caused them to Mizpah and he tells them to do several things. I'm not going to deal with those several things. I don't have time to deal with the things he tells them. But just look what if you look in that text, he tells them to go clean themselves and purify themselves. In other words, they needed to return to the Lord. They needed to repent from their sin. They needed to return from their backsliding. They needed to return and repent from all the worshiping of all the idols they've done. He told them to go wash yourself pure with water, which was a religious ceremony of, of showing that you had cleansed yourself and you had prepared yourself to hear the Lord. Told them to put away all the things they were worshiping, all the things. And when he brought them back and in the midst of all that happening and in the midst of revival getting ready to begin, what happens? If you read the story, it says the Philistines heard that the Israelites had met in Mizpah. And they said, we've got them now in one city. Now we can go destroy all of their leaders and we can destroy them completely once for the last time. And when they start coming, the children of Israel, this time, every time before when the Philistines came, they ran to somebody who could help them with some type of a, a, a god, a foreign god or something. They never went to Samuel one time, but this time they came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, talk to God for us. Samuel, go to God for us and ask God to come and help us. The first time they ever went to God. In our lives, how many times are we caught in the fact that we try to do everything we can, we try to fix everything we can on our own, and it's only the last resort 
that we turn around and we finally come to God when everything has fallen apart and everything is, is, is seems to be destroyed and we seem to be in a place we can't get back from. Then we come to God and say, God, help us. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants to lead us and direct us and guide us and show us and teach us all along the way. But we have to get to the place when the enemy comes in that we quit looking at the enemy and we start looking at God. Hallelujah. Amen. Go ahead and clap. That was a good place to clap. I don't mind if you do it. And he brings them together and he says, he says, just uh, let's obey the word of the Lord. And he says to the army, you go and you, you go and attack the armies of the Philistines. And you can imagine now these people have been thoroughly getting whipped for 20 years. Every time they go to battle, they get their bottom spanked and they go running, losing men, losing uh, swords and losing shields and losing wealth. Every time it's happened for 20 years and Samuel looks at him and says, now you go in the power and the strength of the Lord. You go and fight these Philistines. And the leaders stood up at the word of the Lord and they went out in the battle talks. It talks about the battle that God began to thunder from the skies. He began to thunder with his voice from the heavens. And when he thundered from the heavens, the Philistine armies became so confused that all the Israelites had to do was go and just defeat them. They were running. An enemy that's running away from you is much easier to defeat than an enemy that's coming towards you. Amen. And that enemy was running because they heard the thundering, powerful voice of God. And this is where I want to get to today. So when they come back from defeating the army, you would think that he would take them into the city of Mizpah. But he doesn't take them in. That's where they were. That's where they were when he called them to repentance, where he called them to put away their idols. But when it came to the point for him to show them what God wanted to do, look at verse number 12 again there. It says, Samuel took a stone... And he set it up. Where did he set it up? Between Mizpah and Shin. Now, why is that important? I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to tell you why that's important. The name Mizpah means this. It means a stone tower or a stone wall. Let me just go and give you that scripture right now. I was going to give it to you in a minute, but... If you, if you went back, and we're not going to go there because we don't have time. Genesis 31 Jacob is coming back from the time that he was with Laban, when Laban had, had tricked him for 14 years, and he had worked 14 years to get the wife that he wanted. And out of that deal, he worked 14 years and got two wives and two concubines, and now he has 12 sons. He meets his father-in-law as he's fleeing away. And I hope you know that story. If you don't, go to Genesis chapter 31 and read that story. They meet together and the place they meet is called Mizpah. And in Mizpah on that day, Jacob took a stone. Not just a stone. He took a stone. And the word stone is the word Eben. E-B-E-N. Which is the beginning of Ebenezer. And it means a stone. And that word Eben in the Old Testament is used. I think I've got it here. 239 times it's used as a stone there's other words that's used as stone as well. It's used as stone, and most of the time it's used, it's not just referring to any stone, but it's a stone that God uses. 
And he took a stone in Genesis 31 and he set it up where him and Laban finally made an agreement that they would not steal from each other. They would not deceive each other anymore. They would not try to destroy each other's families. And they called the name of that place Mizpah. And through the, through the centuries now, and not the centuries, but the times that had been, they had built a city there. And it was, became known as the city of the watchtower or the city of the great stone tower. So instead of staying in the city with the stone tower and the stone walls, he brings them out of the city and he sets up between the city. So the city's to their back. They've got this big stone wall. This city that's a city on the inside is a place of safety. On the inside is a place of security. But outside it's a place where you're vulnerable and where you're going to be attacked. And he puts it between Mizpah and over here is a place called Shin. I didn't know this and I found this out. Just the Lord showed it, took me to it in October of last year. The word Shin, if you just do a Google search right now and you type in what does Shin in uh, 1 Samuel 7, 12 mean? It'll tell you either two things. It'll tell you either it means a jagged tooth or a jagged stone. And the idea of what that word means is like the, like the sharp, chewy, gnawing tooth of a bear or a lion, lion, or it means a rock that has a sharp, jagged point. And evidently, when I dug down deep, you don't get this on Google, you got to dig down deep into some archaeological studies. I dug down that several of the commentators said that there was a place that was there that was like a, a mountainside, but it was not just a normal mountain, but it was a mountainside that had jagged, dangerous rocks on it. Those kind of rocks that if you try to climb them, if you're not careful, you're going to cut yourself. You're going to fall and twist your ankle or break your leg. You fall against them and they could even impale you or pierce you. He brought them out of a secure place and he set up this stone between Mizpah and Shin, between a rock and a hard place. And he's teaching them a lesson. He's trying to show them what the power of God is. See, we can all rest in the places where we feel comfortable. We can all rest in the places where we think everything is good. Some of us here in America over the last years, we felt comfortable and we felt we felt good. Maybe in the last few years, we begin to lose some of that comfort and we begin to lose when we see stock markets going up and down. And we see our if any of you have retirement like I do and you see your retirement plan, it's not going up and down anymore. Right now, it's just going down. Isn't it? And we see those things and we see all the just the craziness that's happened and we begin to lose that security. What are we going to do? Doctor gives you a report and that report's not good. We've got a young man that has served with us in Kenya for almost 20 years. Got a report of a brain tumor in his head and the doctors are doing everything they can, but the doctors can't do anything. We have to, we're waiting for God to do something. We're between that rock and that hard place. And what he did when Samuel came out there and he brought them right after they've seen God's mighty hand, they've seen the power of God, they've seen God work, he came outside of the city and he lifted up a stone and he didn't right here. It's interesting. He doesn't call the place Ebenezer. He said he lifted up a stone and he called the stone Ebenezer. Look at it again there in 12 verse 12. And he took, he set up a stone between Mizpah and Shin and he called its name, not the place. He called its name, the stone's name Ebenezer.
The word Ebenezer, Eben means the stone, Nezer means hope or help. When he set that stone up, I know if you read it on, you say, well, wait, Pastor Ron, in the next line it says that thus far the Lord has helped me. That's what Ebenezer means. No, hey, what he's telling them, he's telling them that because this stone, Ebenezer, is the stone of hope, this stone of hope represents the stone, the rock, our Lord, our God. He is the rock of our hope. He is the rock of our help. And on through the Bible, it, there's scripture after scripture after scripture. I shared with you a few a while ago. Let me find another one for you. The tablets of stone that Noah, Moses brought down off the mountain, they were called the Eben. They were the Eben stones. The, when Joshua picked the 12 stones, stones out of the, the middle of the Jordan River and brought them up to the side and took 12 stones from the side and brought them down to the river. Those were ebon stones. Hallelujah. Uh, when, uh, uh, where's another one? There's another good one I want to get to. When David chose five stones from the brook to shoot at Goliath, he didn't just choose any stone, folks. He chose an ebon stone, a stone that was called ebon because he realized it was God that was going to give him the authority to shoot that giant and kill that giant and cause him to die. This is the one I was wanting to get to you in Psalm 118 and in Isaiah. Isaiah, it says the ebon stone which the builder rejected he has become our cornerstone and see that ties us back over now into first Peter when Peter's talking about the rock Jesus Christ our cornerstone the cornerstone of our faith the cornerstone of our hope the cornerstone of our help hallelujah when Samuel set that stone up he called it Ebenezer the stone of our help and that stone of our help was not set in a secure place it was not set in a hidden place he put it right between all the problems and all the struggles and all the difficulties these people were facing and I want you to know today and the reason in the word of the Lord amen that I've come to share with you today is just to let you know that Ebenezer is still in your midst Ebenezer is still with you. Ebenezer is still walking with you. He's still there to help you. He's still there to deliver you. He's still there to help you defeat your giant if you need your giant defeated. He's still there to make provision for you if you need provision in your life. He's still there to open up doors for you in your business or in your, in your uh, finances. He is Ebenezer. He is the God who is our help. And because he is our God who is our help, we can look back at all the things we've been through in life and we're here at this point today we can look back and say you know what it's been tough but thus far the Lord has been good to us thus far the Lord has been good to us and as we move forward the Lord is going to continue to be our help I could tell you a hundred stories about things going on in, in different places in Africa where all that's happening where things like that where we see it happening there in Africa but I just want you to know what happens there but it also happens here just yesterday morning, my was Sherry and I were driving in our car. We were just going out to get some breakfast, coming back to the hotel, and I pulled into the parking lot of the hotel, and my right, my uh, left door window, the driver's side door window, the window just fell right down into the to the to the door panel. Now this Saturday afternoon in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know anybody in Jacksonville, Florida. I had already gone a few days earlier to find a garage because my engine's making a little bit of noise, and I'm just praying. We're praying that all the way back to South Carolina today, and I've still got that noise, but we're praying that we'll get there. Uh, but I had to get that window fixed, and I couldn't fix it. Even if I had tools, I, if I had tools, I probably could have tried to do something. But I said, God, I don't know anybody in this town. I asked the people at the hotel. They didn't know anybody. They said, maybe go over to this side of Jacksonville. Maybe you'll find something. And I went over there, and all I saw was 
if you've been to Jacksonville, it's probably the same here in Tallahassee. There's either either uh, coffee shops or these these craft brewery places where they're making beer. And I'm not going to go in neither one of those when I'm looking for a guy to fix my window. And I just stopped on the side of the road and I said, Lord, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know anybody here. I, I, I really I didn't. I don't know a soul there that I know that I know. Maybe there's people I know, but I don't know that I know. And I just said, God, will you lead me to a, a place that I can get this car fixed? Because it's one thing finding a, a garage and a garage that's open, but that they'll take time to let you in and work on it. And I really was just hoping somebody would lift it up for me and put a stick in it or something to hold the window up. Just to hold that. that well, and that's what we started. I was riding down this road and it's like the Lord just said, I was going to turn. The Lord said, just go straight. Just keep going straight. Just just follow me. And I followed him and I went and I came up on this place and it was a machine shop. And I thought, well, a machine shop sign would do me any good. But then under the machine shop sign, there was a small little sign that said EJ Auto. Remember that. If you're ever in Jacksonville, you need to go find EJ. He's a little, little uh, uh, what did you tell me he's from? Venezuela. No, Cuban was the other guy. He was a Venezuelan. EJ was a Venezuelan. Didn't speak English. But God had put a Cuban young man there who lived in Venezuela. They did speak English, so he was able to interpret for me when I got there. Hallelujah. Because the only Spanish I know is hola and Dios les bendiga. That's all I got, you know. And so I get there. My time's running out. Cal, I'm not going to finish by 12. Sorry. <laughs> and he didn't tell me I had to. Uh, he just said, that's usually what time. But if you, he said, take the time you need. And I won't go long. And so I get there and I go up to, to, to the little guy in there and he's working with another guy and he's trying to, he's got a rack and pinion, I know that. He's got a rack and pinion laying on the floor and he's, it's the old one and he's, uh, they've just brought him the new one and he's trying to get the bolts off so he can send the old one back as a core. And he finishes his work up and he comes up to me and he says, you know, just in his broken English, the few words he had, uh, can I help you? And so I tell him my story. Y'all forgive me for doing this, but I do this. I always start, I'm a missionary here. You know, I do that because sometimes that gives you a little favor. Uh, instead of I'm just, I'm on vacation. You know, if you're on vacation, they could care less probably. I said, I'm a missionary here. And we're traveling. And I got a church to visit tomorrow. And my window just fell down in my door. And can you help me get it up? Even if you can just get it up and, and, and make it stay till I get back to South Carolina tomorrow. And he didn't really say anything. He just turned around and walked away. And I said, I looked at the other guys. He going to do this or not? You know, and. And the guy said, just, just a moment. And, and in a few minutes, I mean, within less than a minute, he comes over with his tools. And he didn't tell me, okay, go sit over there and I'll get to you in two hours or four hours or whatever. He said, just let me. He came and immediately took the door panel off and he lifted it up and got it up there. And I said, praise the Lord. And he was trying to figure out how to put a, a stick in there. And he had his hammer and stuff, beating a stick and putting it in there. And it wasn't working. He said, do you want me to fix it? I said, can you fix it? I'm Saturday afternoon. I didn't think it could be fixed. I mean, he's saying this through the interpreter. I said, can you fix it? He said, yes, the part will $200. I said, $200? Oh, let's do it. Get the part. And he got the part. And an hour and a half later, my car is fixed. In Jacksonville on Saturday afternoon. And see that say to me yesterday, that's not a life altering thing. But I would have had to driven six and a half hours today after I leave here. We've already driven three hours, almost two and a half hours to get here. And another six and a half hours with my window down. And that hot air and all that noise and flies and bugs coming in and my wife fussing at me because I didn't get the window fixed. And y'all know you women know how it is or you men know how it is. The same way, but I, I don't do this all the time. Sometimes I use my Google and I say, Google, 
help me find a mechanic. Google, help me find this. Google, do this for me. Google, do that. We've gotten so used to Google, we talk to Google more than we talk to God sometimes, don't we? Hello? That might be a mic drop. I could drop my mic, but then Pastor would never let me come back. But yesterday I said, I'm not going to talk to Google. I pulled over. I literally pulled over the side of the road and said, God, lead me to a place. And brothers and sisters, that's all God wants you to do. The proverb says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding. In everything you're going through and every problem you're dealing with, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. And he will direct your path. Yesterday, I could have translated that. He will lead you to the garage where the man's at that will fix your car. Hallelujah. That's the way God works. What are you dealing with today? What is your proverbial rock and hard place that you're standing in? Samuel brought the Israelites there. And he said, quit looking at the army. Quit looking at your enemy. Quit looking to false gods. Quit looking to the difficulties of Shin and the strength of Mizpah. And look at the stone. This is where your help comes from. I think as the writer of the Proverbs says, I will lift my eyes up to the heavens or to the hills because my help comes from the Lord. And I think I'm supposed to close this service out today just saying a prayer for you. If you're in a place right now and you're in between that proverbial rock and hard place and you really don't know what you're supposed to do, and I really, really, I honestly, the way the Lord spoke this to me last night, there was somebody really in a, in a bind today. You're in a situation you need help. And God just wanted you to quit looking at what you need and looking at who you have with you. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.